This episode is brought to you by Pepsi Wild Cherry. Pepsi Wild Cherry is bursting with delicious cherry flavor and a sweet, crisp taste that gives you more to go wild for. Getting wild may look different these days, but whether it's opting for a solo Friday binge watch or a big night out, everyone can indulge in their wild side with Pepsi Wild Cherry, also available in Zero Sugar. So grab a Pepsi Wild Cherry and get wild. Hi, everybody, and welcome to Phillies Backstage. I'm Tom Burgoyne, joined by John Brazier. It's a beautiful day for a couple reasons, John. First of all, it's beautiful outside. We're in the middle of the Mets. We're not sure when this is going to post, but we're in the middle of our Mets uh, series. We just started the uh, series off last night. This is Tuesday Exciting after game. the great game against great the comeback. Mets last night. Down 4 nothing. come back to win 5-4 to four. with the help of our guest that's coming yeah. up here. The real MVP of last night's game. Dusty Wathen. How you doing, Dusty? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me. Yeah. Uh, great start to the season. So, uh, yeah, I'm, I couldn't be better right now. Yeah. Now, t- now, top two, Dusty yeah, yeah. is a avid listener of the podcast. Nice. We found that out a couple years ago. You're the one. Because we're thinking like nobody's listening to us. And then all of a sudden, <laughs> Dusty said, hey, Brage, I love, your, love the podcast. I'm like, uh-oh. I went back to you and I said, Tom, we got to be careful what we say about the team. Not that we ever talk baseball. Yeah, we, you, 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 now we know not to rip the third base coach on <laughs> yes, our podcast. We can never do that again. <laughs> I wouldn't be Philly if you didn't rip me, though. Uh, exactly. <laughs> hey, Dusty, let's get into it. You know, uh, you know last night, so... Uh, Phillies are down 4 nothing against the Mets. Uh, I guess uh, JT hits a two-run home run. Uh, Cassianos gets on. There are two outs. Uh, just go through the process. What are you thinking at that point, you know, standing out there uh, in that situation? Well, I mean, first thing you're going to do is going to check the outfielders, see where they're at. They had Reese uh, played towards the gap in left center, which is kind of unusual. Normally, the left fielder be played more towards the line. Um, so you're thinking, okay, how am I going to score him from first base on a double? I mean, that's my immediate thought every time there's a guy on first base uh, in a situation where we need a run or we need to add on runs. And, um, you know, you look at the spots where you can think you can score him, and it looked like it was going to be probably right center, right field line, and maybe in left field line. And, you know, Reese hits the ball down left field line, and, um, you know, Costi got a great jump, and he was flying, I think, uh, on our postgame report. Uh, fastest sprint speed of anybody uh, mm. in the game yesterday. So uh, he was running real well. And, um, you know, in that situation, you got to kind of take a chance. And, um, you know, you can't bank on us getting another hit, even though, thank goodness we did. Didi comes through. But, you know, you got to try to tie the ball game up, make them make a play, and uh, worked out good for us. Was, that, was uh, that Smith in left field, too? Uh, no, no, that was. Uh, uh, who was playing left? Kana? Kana. Yeah. So, so, you're, so that's what I was going to ask, too. You're evaluating, obviously, the speed of your player that's on first, but you're also saying, all right, if the ball goes to the left fielder, how good is that guy's arm or how good is the right fielder's arm, right? So you're assessing several things that are going through your calculation before Reese even gets up to bat. Yeah, and all that's been done, you know, that was done Monday morning, Monday afternoon, and then, you know, one more time probably before we go out for the game and then also have some reports on the iPad and the dugout on uh, strength of arms and, um, you know, how guys go left and right. And obviously you've watched a bunch of videos. So it's all prepared well beforehand, Um, obviously – you know, a lot of the Mets I know well, but uh, Kana coming from uh, Oakland, I, d- I didn't know him as well, so watch probably a little bit more video than I even normally would. So, um, But Rob Thompson does a great job, too, in letting the players know uh, in our pre-series meetings about, you know, this guy does that, 
this guy does this well. He spins this way better than that way. So, um, you know, a lot of preparation goes into it, and uh, it's nice when it when it shows up in the game and it works out for us. Is that nerve wracking? I mean, like literally, your call by with two wave, outs too, with two know. outs, waving him in or, or holding him. Yeah, you know, that, that's that's obviously a hu- could be a huge moment, uh, right? Momentum buster or momentum gainer, like. Does that, is that, are you nervous when you're doing that, or is it you're just in the moment? No, I think it's uh, you're just in the moment. I think it's exciting. I, I tell everybody it's the closest thing you can get to still playing, being a coach, because you're actually on the field. Um, you know, you have the crowd. You, you have that little bit of uh, energy in you. You know, you're in the dugout, and you have that a little bit, but you're not, phys- you know, impacting the game exactly in the moment. You know, you, you know, Joe makes pitching changes and pinch it and lineups and things, but in the moment, you know, it's – as close as you can get to actually playing. So I really enjoy it, um, and I'm lucky to be here, and it's it's, it's been fun. Yeah, and, uh, well, with Castellanos, I guess you have to uh, – we brought him over, obviously, and you know the abilities of each of our players in terms of how, how well they run the bases. Uh, what did you know about Castellanos uh, when he came over? Well, he can run. I mean, he's, he's surprisingly – he's a big guy, and he, he runs well for a big guy. So, I mean, obviously, um, like I said – We've looked at all his sprint speeds and all that stuff, and Paco does a great job with these guys, uh, keeping them in shape. And he, Costi's working all the time in the outfield. So during BP, I'm watching him run and just you know getting a feel for him. I got to see him run a little bit in spring training. But you're right uh, to your point. When you first get a guy for the first couple of days, you're kind of like, you know, trying to figure out. You watch video and you can watch that all you want, but you'd like to see it in person. That guy make his turns and and uh, know how fast he is and things like that. And he made some great turns around the bases that. Yeah. Uh, that got him there, and, and you know, I guess some you know, the, the team speed isn't uh, maybe a traditional team speed when you think of having you know we have Kyle Schwarber leading off. You know, it's not you know Juan Pierre or, or a traditional uh, leadoff hitter. In terms of the team speed, you can still be a good uh, base running team without just all out speed, right? Yeah, I think if you look the last couple years, we've been in the top in some some metrics that measure base running, and we haven't had a bunch of burners. Um, you know, I think. There's times when JT, our catcher, is the fastest guy on the field. Our two catchers. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Stubbs is, yeah, Stubbs. I mean, I saw him make that, Stubbs make that bunt the other day, and he flew down there. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Yeah, He was like a 4-1 to first base on the bunt or something like that. And, uh, but uh, we do have a lot of good base runners and guys that really care about running the bases, which is really important, Um, you know, all the way up and down the lineup. And, again, you know, Paco stays on them, and and we, we were talking to him about every advantage we can get and, going first to third and, and things like that. So um, you're definitely right. You don't have to be fast to be a good base runner, and, and we got some guys that are good base runners. How much do you preach the first to third? And I ask that too because, John, 1993, the guy that always pops in my head is Dave Hollins. Dave Hollins was just a great base burner. He's not a guy you would think is a burner, but he could go first to third. Harry would always say, ah, he's like a linebacker. I mean, you got this big hulking guy coming at you, you know, built like a brick house. But uh, he was a guy who could always get to first to third. Do you guys really preach that too? Yeah, definitely. Um, Any time you can get first to third, it, it puts a lot more pressure on the uh, defense you know, you go first and second, and you kind of feel like, okay, well, you know, we still got a chance. We, we can give up a single and, and hold them or throw them out of the plate. You get first and third, and there's a lot more pressure on, on the defense. There's a lot more options we have offensively to do things. So we preach it a lot. Um, I know Paco at first base lets those guys know exactly where the right fielder is. Make sure you check him. If this guy, if this ball's hit a little bit to his right, you'll be able to go. If he hits it a little bit to his left, he throws better, so you might not be able to. So, again, um, we preach it a lot. Um, we're trying to always take extra 90. Who is the coach that um, works on the slide? Because what I'm, what I'm always uh, impressed with is that when a guy's rounding third, he's coming in, 
and it's going to be a tight play, how good they are as far as like getting to the outside and then reaching out their hand, getting underneath, trying to get underneath the tag, and just swiping almost at the outside of the plate. Right? It's, it's almost like a science yeah. in that, right? Instead of just coming in, sliding directly into home plate, it's, it's kind of avoiding the tag and kind of sweeping through. Yeah, there's, there's a couple different – we don't really have anybody that coaches it. We talk about it a lot. I mean, it's one of those things it's hard to, it's hard to practice, really. Right. You know, you don't want guys get out hurt. there sliding on, <laughs> on the dirt and stuff like that. They slide enough and get banged up enough. But we do practice sliding in spring training on some pads and things like that, but nothing, none of the, the spectacular slides. But I think that just comes naturally. Um, and we talk about it all the time. Sometimes the best way is to slide directly in hard, feet first into a catcher. And sometimes, you know, it's better to go wide. So, you know, I think it just shows you how good athletes these guys are, that they can make that decision, you know, 15, 20 feet away and, and just make things happen. Yeah. And uh, you mentioned a little bit technology. How has technology changed the way you approach uh, coaching third base? Well, the video is unbelievable now, and, and a lot of it still goes back to watching video. Um, you know, you want to trust your own eyes. And we get a lot of information from, um, you know, our scouting staff and things that um, is very important. But uh, to me, trusting my eyes is, is still the number one thing. And the, the one cool thing here that we had built in the last five years is one is a sack fly sheet, which uh, gives me information on uh, each runner we have in the lineup and each outfielder. And it says about the depth that we think if the guy just standing there and catches the ball that he can score on. And then if he goes left and right, back and forward, those depths change for each guy. So it takes into account the velocity, his exchange, doesn't take into game state, which, you know, I have to, I have to determine. Um, and then we also have a post-mortem, which is uh, – I asked him the first year here. I said, um, I know everybody's really good at this, at second-guessing, third base coaches especially, but can we build the best second-guessing machine you've ever had and then have a post-mortem and say, you know, what was the percentage according to the play, how fast the guy threw the ball, how fast our runner was running, where he was when he got the ball, what are the percentages that he's going to – be safer out at home, and then what are the percentages that, that uh, I guess, that was a good play or wasn't a good play? So to match them up and 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 figure out, well, yeah, could I have been more aggressive in that send? Should I have been less aggressive in that send? Even though even though they're safe, um, you know, uh, sometimes it's just it is just as important when a guy's safe at home to go back and look did everything go right because sometimes you know. Might have been you luck. Might have been sometimes you wave them past right. and you just look up and say, "Oh, please, yeah. Yeah. please Hopefully show this one offline." Is, right, right, yeah. off, off center. Yeah. Now, does how about signs? Like, where, where are you involved in signs these days? Because you know, the other thing I was going to say is mm. the manager is obviously the most scrutinized, especially for second guessing. But you know, more than the bench coach, more than the first base coach is you, the third base coach, right? Because it's it's at your you're out there, you're exposed. Everyone knows when you did something great, but also everyone you know can second guess if they if you felt. You know, you send somebody in and they get thrown out. But I guess, where where are you? Where does the signs? Where where does that come from? Does that come from the manager working on the signs, just coordinating with the first base coach? So it just comes from Joe. Joe gives me the signs, what he wants, and then I give them to the players and Paco sees them for me. Okay, yeah. pretty simple. And how, how often do you switch up the signs? Uh, depending on how our roster is. Um, not as often as you'd think, probably. But, I mean, if our roster is pretty consistent, we don't make any trades or, you know, we're not playing a team that had a guy lately, um, 
you know, he uses signs most most of the year. So, so signs are staying in the game of baseball. I mean, it's crazy now that uh, we're using the technology for catchers to relay pitches to the pitcher. Uh, you know, to me, it's like, well, boy, that was a part of the game for 100 years, you know. So, and that's been – it might be completely eliminated if everybody uses that technology. No, no, you don't see any change in uh, how we give players signs when they're at bat? I think it's going to change. Okay. I, I got a feeling yeah. it is. I got a right. feeling it's going to be very similar to the pitch com that we're using for the pitchers and catchers yeah. uh, just because of speed. Um, if you think about things, uh, watching the pitch com work uh, at the beginning, I was like, ah, I don't know about this thing. And then we were actually in spring training playing against Baltimore, and they used it, and I noticed how fast the pace was. Mm. We played like a two-hour and ten-minute spring training game, which is, as you guys know, unheard right. of, right? Yeah. And um, so we started talking about it, and – a little bit more and more interesting in it. And so, you know, I think if it speeds up the game, keeps the flow of the game going, I think it's better for baseball. I was really probably against it, but the flow of the game. So I think I could see something to the effect of the guys having uh, a speaker in their helmets and then Joe just pushing a button, hmm. me, me hearing it, them hearing it. There's no more stepping out and, and things like that. So if we can keep the pitch clock out of the game and we can just get the flow of the game going – I'm all for it. And for those that don't know, right now they put in, they're using it right now, is that the catcher has, and correct me if I'm wrong here, Dusty, uh, the catcher has like a wristband with, uh, and they can hit certain buttons, right, that goes to the um, the pitchers wearing an earplug, right? So there's a there's a device that goes in their hat, and it's a, essentially a speaker. Uh, it can be in Spanish or English. Uh, the catcher has nine buttons on his wristband, and each one represents a different pitch, and then each one represents a different location. And then you also have nine more ways to push the button to signal pickoff, um, pitch out, things like that. Uh, and then you can have the rule right now is the pitcher and the catcher have one, and then three more fielders can have them. So right now uh, we're, we have the middle infielders, the second baseman, shortstop, and the center fielder have it in. Hmm. And eventually you think that will go more people or – or is that the only really people that need to know? Uh, it could go more. I know there's some colleges. Vanderbilt's using some stuff where everybody has one. Um, I think, uh, you know, on the offensive side of signs, when guys are on base, I think everybody will have one eventually in their helmet, and, mm. and it will just be a lot quicker. Yeah, and then you can make the transition to signs, you know, yeah. uh, you know, uh, the, the signs to the batter. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. You know, we don't have you for a long time, Dusty, but we'd love to talk to you about just a little bit your career. You know, it's really fascinating. I think we're always fascinated, John, with somebody when you're a kid and you grow up in a surrounded about around baseball as you did with your dad, uh, John, being uh, an, a, a big league player. Uh, what was it like growing up around uh, the Kansas City Royals organization mostly, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. So my dad was with the Royals, still with the Royals. Uh, Took a brief little uh, detour to Boston for one year and Anaheim for two years. But other than that, really was with the Royals uh, his whole career as a player and manager. Uh, it was neat. Uh, I didn't know anything different. You know, I would just go to the ballpark with Dad, run around, hit in the cage, you know, run around the stadium. You knew everybody. And 
back then, obviously, you know, security or whatever, you could just mm. go wherever you wanted it. Right, right. Nobody cared. Uh, oh, that's the Wathen <laughs> kids there. You yeah. know, and I'm just running around. So uh, it was great. I uh, had a good time. Uh, yeah. Kansas City is a great town, um, kind of a small town atmosphere. So, you know, we grew up in the same town as at the time, a lot of players, kids. So um, our Little League team, we finished second in the nation one year. We had Corey Otis, Amos Otis's son, mm. and uh, Jamie Splitorf, Paul's son, Dennis Leonard Jr. Um, we had a couple more, I think. It's a pretty so, good team right yeah, there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it was, it was, it was fun. Uh, we had a good group of guys, good group of kids, and a very family-oriented place. So it was a lot of fun. Now, you were seven years old, right, when the Phillies played the Kansas City Royals in the World Series. Your dad was a catcher yep. uh, for the Royals. Uh, do you remember that? I mean, yeah. I mean, obviously you're you're not that young. So, you know, what was that like? Did you go to any of the games? Went to the home games, and then we went uh, when they came to Philly. Uh, we went up to my aunt's house in Iowa and uh, watched it from there. And we had big plans for steak and lobster when we got uh-huh. home, and we ended up with hamburger. All right, here's here's my question. I only have one question for you, Dusty. Did the Philadelphia Phillies make you cry in 1980? I don't think so. You didn't cry? No, I don't think so. I don't, huh. I don't think so. I think, I think I was just. I mean, it was just. I was born in Double A, right. so I've seen a lot of stuff. And the team was good, and I, I probably didn't really understand the impact okay, yeah. of, of of what was going on yet. So, but right, but twelve years old is basically when you're. I think of twelve years old as like the magical time as a sports fan, and that's no. when the the Royals won the World Series when he's twelve years old, right? Yeah, yeah. dad's on the team in '85, yeah. right? Yeah. Right. I was in the clubhouse for those. Uh, so that's a good story. I was in the um, – got to celebrate with the team. Uh, so, you know, all those guys um, grew up in the clubhouse every day with them. So yeah. after they win the World Series, uh, we're standing outside waiting to go in, and they say the wives can go in, but the kids can't. And my mom says, no, no, my kids go in way before me. They're more into this than I am. This is more their thing. Than, <laughs> nice. So we got to go in, and, um, you know, I got dumped in laundry buckets and <laughs> champagne poured all over me and stuff like that. So I was, it was, that was a really fun time. But also must be cool, too, and I was thinking about this, Bo Jackson. Bo Jackson. Bo yeah. Jackson. So Bo Jackson was the biggest, arguably the biggest athlete in the game at that point, right? Mm-hmm. And you were a kid. So what was that like when you see Bo Jackson, who's this larger-than-life mm-hmm. football guy, baseball guy, you know? Yeah. Who knows Bo? So actually – Bo went to Auburn, as everybody knows. Um, Hal Barrett was the head coach at Auburn. My dad and Hal Barrett were minor league roommates for years. So I knew Bo, Bo right when we signed him. Um, we, when he got to the big leagues, he came over to the house for dinner because Hal was coming town for his opening weekend or opening day he was there. So I knew Bo really well. Um, so, yeah, I've got some, some good stories about Bo. Probably not good for the air, but he, <laughs> he's a great guy. But, uh, yeah, it was, it was neat. Um, I guess one story is – you know, knowing him as a little kid, and then as I grew up and seeing him different places and and here and there, I went to go pick up my mom one time when I was in college, and I was a little bit late getting there. And I pull up to the curb at John Wayne um, Airport in Orange County, and who's standing there? Bo's standing there, and my mom. Bo was on the same flight, and he aired me out for being late. You so never that. be late to pick up your mother. <laughs> oh, wow. or so, uh, but there's lots of stories like that. But Bo's a good man, and uh, you know, it was it was fun being around him. And then going back to that 1980 team, uh, I read that I know uh, George Brett was a real close friend of the family, and uh, I loved it because I did read uh, something where you guys would have uh, kids versus the player uh, days, which we do a version of that here, uh, you know, in Philadelphia with our players, a family day on the field. But it sounded like that was a great time, and yeah. George Brett was in the middle of it all, huh? Yep, George always used to pick one kid at the very the last kid to hit 
and he would throw at him, and we'd charge them out, and we'd tackle <laughs> him and everything like that. And so, uh, yeah, it was fun. I mean, Ron Luciano was the yeah. – well, did almost every year somehow he ended up being there. That's cool. Um, and so I got a lot of cool pictures with him, you know, as big as he was but behind me, and uh, I would be the catcher and stuff like that in the team. So, yeah, it was a lot of, lot of fun. A lot of family stuff there. Yeah. Um, a lot of stuff you could do back then that, that, you know, you really can't get away with now. Well, another yeah. cool thing that I read about was that Brett Saberhagen – and you, you, I guess you were in middle school at this time. You were, you were out at Shagging Flies with him in Fenway, at Fenway. Mm-hmm. And I guess Brett had the idea of digging some money, burying S- some money in the sod. So we slid, so he slid and caught a ball and pulled a piece of the sod out. And he said, you know, hey, go in my wallet, get a $100 bill. We'll put it under there and we'll come back next year and see if it's still there. So he did it. It's probably still there. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, we got to also talk about we're in the presence of greatness, John. You know, Dusty is a career 600 hitter. He went 600 hitter. You're already one for one on your quiz, by the way. <laughs> oh, oh no, sorry. Yeah, you just, oh, you're blowing the it? quiz right there, but that's all right. Well, I'm, we'll give me an advantage. <laughs> I'm probably the only guy. I always yeah. say this. I'm the only guy that would wanted a chance to lower his batting average. <laughs> yeah, yeah, three yeah. for five. Yeah. And what I did, did you know this, Tom? That. He got his opportunity because two of the catchers yeah. uh, went on maternity leave. Yeah. They were there wasn't maternity leave back then. Yeah, right where they're going to become new fathers. Yeah, AJ Hinch and Brent Main. Yeah. Now, Dusty, how you know you had uh, I think fourteen years in the minor leagues as a player. Uh, what was it like in terms of uh, you know? I guess you always wanted to have that shot. Uh, you must have had some times of frustration. Yeah, I think so. I think yeah. um, you know originally my goal was to try to sign. I was a non-drafted free agent. Try to sign. Play long enough to get some credibility to coach. Pretty much okay. all I wanted to do. And luckily, you know, 14 years later, I was, I was done playing. But, uh, yeah, I mean, I had some good years. Uh, I had some frustrating years. I mean, I played in Venezuela, uh, made an all-star team that year, came home, couldn't find a job, ended up getting a job, um, bouncing around uh, after getting my hand broke. I was with the Marlins, broke my hand, got to play with my brother there. We were roommates on the road. He was a shortstop. I was a catcher. That was cool. pretty cool. That is. Uh, and then – uh, you know, the next year was the crazy year that I got to the big leagues. Actually, I started with San Diego, got traded uh, to Milwaukee, got hurt, got released. A couple of days later, went to Kansas City to AAA, and then uh, they didn't call us third catcher up in September. And, uh, you know, Brent and, uh, and AJ's wives were pregnant and actually played for uh, Brent's dad in, uh, huh. in college. Mm. Well, and you, uh, but that's something you always uh, saw yourself as a coach. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Something I, I always wanted to stay in the game, and I love, yep. love being around the game. And so I think early on in my playing career, I, I kind of. You know, gravitated towards managers and, and asking questions. And my last year uh, playing, actually, the last two years I played, I played for John Russell. Uh, oh, okay, yeah. early, right? Yep. And yep. so, uh, Jr. We had a great year in 2006 when we were last year in Scranton. And then we moved to Ottawa, and we had a terrible year. Mm-hmm. And uh, about July, end of July, I went to Jr. and I said, "Hey, man, I think this is it. I think I'm going to be done. My knees bothering me, and you know." I'm looking at the lineup. I don't really care if I'm not playing anymore. And mm. so I was like, that's, that, I think that's it. And he looked at me and he was so excited. And I was like, oh, that, what, what's this? And, and he was just excited to have like a project. So right away, mm. grabbed me, taught me how to coach third base, taught me how to look at, um, you know, do the reports that the managers have to do in the minor leagues and all that stuff. And then luckily, um, you know, right after the season was over, I went to uh, talk to Steve Novarita and, yeah. and Bill Dancy and uh, they hired me as the Williamsport manager. Awesome. And, and, and- I think being a catcher, when John Russell was also a catcher, being a catcher gives you kind of an, a natural advantage in that, in the sense that you're really the quarterback of the, you know, you're guiding that that you know as a catcher, you're basically the quarterback, you're 
you're leading the the team right there, right? You're you're um, you're behind everything. Um, you came into, into managing the Williamsport Crosscutters, right, in 2008. And I tell you what, your managing career is unbelievable. The Lakewood Blue Claws did great there. Clearwater, Redding, you know, then even then finishing up at uh, Lehigh Valley Iron Pigs. I mean, I, you really had a tremendous managing career in the Phillies minor leagues. Yeah, uh, a lot of good players. Um, it was a good time for us in the minor leagues at the time. I mean, obviously it was a really good time in the big leagues too. But Correct. when the big leagues is doing well, um, you know, it's, it's a little easier in the minor leagues. And we had good players in the minor leagues that were coming through. So, uh, yeah, I was lucky. And uh, it was a fun time. I, I mean, I loved, I loved managing the minor leagues. You know, who knows what's going to happen in the future. Um, but, you know, maybe, maybe that's how I end my career. What, what was your style? Were you more of like a player's coach? Were you more of a disciplinarian? What, what, what's, your, what's your style? Dusty you wasn't say? a disciplinarian. I, I mean, I, I mean I sometimes, sometimes, well, obviously. <laughs> sometimes you got to lay down the law. Right. You know, yeah, I, yeah. I, always, I always say, you know what, it helped me being a parent or a father. Because it's a lot like your kids, right? Um, they're not going to always love you, but in the end, they'll come back and, and and they'll realize you wanted the best for them. So I obviously wanted the best for all my players. Um, cared deeply for for all. I mean, I've been uh, to Hawaii for weddings. I've been you know all over the place. So um, you know, you gotta you have to have tough conversations with your kids sometimes, and sometimes you have to have tough conversations and discipline with with your players and. Uh, you know, it's neat. I saw one yesterday. Jeremy Barnes played for me in the minor leagues here. He's assistant hitting coach for the Mets now. And uh, I told him, I said, I got a couple guys in the big leagues actually now that are coaches. I said, geez, I'm, oh, getting, I'm getting old. Yeah, man. Yeah. I'm really getting old. And he says, no, nah, it just means you did a really good job. Yeah, so absolutely. It's neat to hear things like that. Well, and um, and how was it? Because I know that was kind of your thing. You, you joined the Philly staff in 2018. And it's like, oh, you know, Dusty has seen a lot of these uh, young players in the, you know, in the minor leagues. D- did that help you when they uh, came up here? You were familiar with their game? Oh, yeah, for sure. I mean, at the time, 18, you remember back, it was, you know, Knapp and Alfaro and, and Reese and, and JP and – uh, Nick Williams. Scott Kingery. Scott Kingery, yeah. So all those guys I had um, through the minor league. So definitely yeah. helped. Uh, and I think uh was probably one of the reasons that, uh, you know, Cap gave me a shot uh, on the staff was to kind of help, uh, you know, bounce ideas off me. What, How do I go about talking to this guy and that guy? And I think that's an important thing in any organization. When you bring in a new manager to have some cohesiveness from the minor leagues and, and to keep a couple guys on your staff that – they kind of know what's going on in the organization. And, and sometimes I think a new manager gets hired somewhere and all of a sudden they just fire everybody. Um, and I think, you know, there's some there's some reason to look into why are these people here and, and why should they stay here maybe. Maybe not all of them, but, I mean, I think Vuk's a good point, right? Mm-hmm. Like, I mean, Vuk was that constant for all those years. Um, and there was a reason he was here for all those years with a bunch of different managers. And I think that's important. doesn't happen a lot anymore, um, but I think I got lucky in that case. When I think of Vuk, too, I think of as a third base coach, just the wave. He had the windmill wave, right? Right. <laughs> Dusty yeah. was windmilling last night. I, right. I saw the tape. I mean, when you go to the gym, do you have to work out your arm that way, like some of the exercises, and make sure you don't pull anything when you're yeah. doing the windmill? Definitely doing shoulder exercises all the time. I'm glad you mentioned Vuk uh, because you got Vuk and Larry Boa, you know, two just guys uh, who, who – Earned just uh, probably the most respect of anybody who's been through this organization in the last 50 years. Did you have much of a rapport with uh, both those guys? Well, Vuk, uh, unfortunately, you know, passed before I got yeah. to really, um, you know, I was around him a little bit, um, but, you know, he passed before I really got to. But, you know, I hear all the stories, obviously, um, from Dallas and, you know, when Dallas was with us still and, and Larry and stuff. So, I mean, 
it was I was I feel blessed just to be around him for the brief period I was around him. But yeah, Bo has been great. I mean, uh, you know, talked to him on the phone, around him in spring training, around him here. I mean, he's wealth of knowledge, obviously, and knows exactly how this city uh, handles things. When I first got to the big leagues, when I was in the minor leagues, being around him, you know, get, coming up in September and helping out. September's talking to him. I mean, he's just uh, he's a special person, and we're lucky to have him here. How about Charlie? I know oh, you've obviously yeah. worked with Charlie very closely. Yeah, Charlie's great. Um, you know, will Charlie talk baseball with you, Dusty? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, I, I, I mean, another guy. I mean, just blessed to have those two. They've been in spring training with us every year for a while. Um, you know, now COVID stunk because they couldn't be around and, and it was great to have him back this year but yeah I mean talking hitting with Charlie talking managing talking you know situations I mean the one year you know when he took over as interim manager I got to have him sitting right next to me and and we would talk out situations and hey what awesome. do you think about this what's that what I mean it was just it was really cool to have him around and you know obviously uh he's a great guy to, to tease with and, and joke with he's and, the and, best yeah, yeah you can really get on him and he can get on you and uh he's always got a good story we, we had so the cassianos press conference down in spring training i'm i'm down there with, along with everybody else down there for the press conference we're all waiting you know there's a kind of little build up we can't yeah, wait for it to happen there. and charlie just ambles in from the from the field right and he cuts right through the gets a hot dog he, well he cuts right through the lunchroom <laughs> and get, just literally walks past the table and everyone all the writers the front office people everyone's looking at him and he just kind of just again walks through walks through and he goes what's up fellas <laughs> and i mean it's not funny in itself but it's charlie just walking through oh, yeah. and he's like you know hey what's up fellas like, i think he was making his way to the, hot, making dog, way to the uh, hot dog and then yeah and then on his way right uh i know we're gonna get into the quiz we don't want to leave dusty i have one other question for you dusty you started uh in 2008 williamsport did you get the call up like a lot of the managers or coaches from minor league uh, uh, teams do uh, when we were in the postseason that year or in 2009 or any of those yeah, years? Yeah, so 2008, they brought everybody here. Obviously, yeah. the Phillies, you know, it's first class as, as it gets. Um, my wife and I came, uh, went to the games, uh, three, four, five. Well, we ended up trying to hang around and, and ended up watching – you know, us win it from home because of the rain and everything or whatever. But we yeah. were here for those couple of days, you know, had great parties afterwards. It was great. Especially it was kind of neat because it was my first year managing, but I had played with all those guys, you know, Burl in the fall league in 1999, you know, uh, you know, played with Chase in spring training, all those guys. So it was neat for, for me to kind of be able to be here and, and see that whole thing. Um, and then in 2009, my son was born uh, wow. during the NLCS. So my second son, my our, our last one. And, uh, so they said, you know, we're going to go to the world series or whatever. And so I'm like, my wife's like, I can't go. And we, we you know, had a baby like four days ago. She said, take Huck. So I called and that's my oldest son. Now he was, I think he was five or six at the mm, time. Wow, so nice. yeah, he came, that's awesome. um, and we did all the stuff, you know, a little bit less after the game, but, uh, it was neat. Right. You know, he got to come to the game. He still remembers that stuff. Uh, oh, that's great. It was, it was, it was a good time. And Dude. before we get to the quiz too, last question is your, your dad, they called him the Duke mm -hmm. cause he did a John Wayne impersonation. Mm -hmm. How good was this John Wayne impersonation? Real good. It's really good. Yeah, yeah, it's really good. <laughs> and not only that, but I think he has every, well, at the time he had every John Wayne movie on VHS and okay. I mean, he watched them all the time. So that means you watched them all too. Yeah, I've seen. Uh, I've so seen he knew lot. all the lines. I've seen a lot of them. Yeah, it's I've like us with lines. Caddyshack, John. Yeah, right. <laughs> well, I'll tell you, Pilgrim. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, that really? Was terrible. Yeah, that was terrible. Had a thing, uh, <laughs> Why'd I say Pilgrim? 
Well, that's what John Wayne said. <laughs> he had a thing in Kansas City where they did a charity thing, and it was uh, Run with Duke was what it was called. So every time he stole a base, it was for cerebral palsy. He donated money for charity. So, yeah, uh, the Duke nick- 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 nickname uh, stuck. And, uh, you know, still to this day, a lot of people – you know, how's Duke doing to me? Yeah, mm. tremendous. Yeah. Uh, big day because we have Dusty. Uh, but it's also a big day, John, because we have a n- new musical uh, introduction for the big quiz. So, from Skip Dannenberg. From Skip Dannenberg. So I, ha- I know I have to do this the right way. I got to introduce this. So it's like, John, do you know what time it is? <laughs> Thanks for the visit. Let's get down to business. Now here's your chance to show how much you really know. He might get grumpy if he can't stop you with Brazier's Quiz. So did I do it right? And and what a song, by the way. You know, we got been another theme on song. It. He's yes. been working on it, huh? This, this podcast is getting better and better, Tom. I'm telling you. <laughs> the guests, more the and more music, professional, professional. But now, Dusty, are you ready? For the quiz, I know you are an avid listener, so I didn't have to shock you uh, because a lot of people are like, wait a minute, I got to do a quiz? A quiz. <laughs> but you probably know you have to get six out of eight, right? Six uh, out of eight. Six out of eight. It's all about your life, so you should do pretty well. And Tom, um, I know Dusty's got to be a big Fanatic fan. He's got a lot of kids, Well, too. the Fanatic birthday's coming up on April uh, 24th, John. Uh, Citizens Bank. Uh, Seven o'clock Fanatic. game. Seven o'clock game on a Sunday. ESPN took the game. And usually, you know, that's a big day for kids. So we're hopefully the, it's 7 o'clock. It was 8 o'clock when they did this to us years ago. But um, there's, we're giving away a T-shirt. It's a kid's size. Is Huck is probably uh, – how old is he now? He's 19. <laughs> I was just going to say. Gus will take one. He's 12. Ah, there, Gus, there it is. Citizens, right? Yeah, citizens. Uh, Thanks to Citizens. We got a great T-shirt that day. Uh, April 24th, fanatic birthday. All right, Dusty, right here, 6 out of 8. Are you ready? All right, let's try it. All right, you went to Blue Springs High School in Blue Springs, Missouri. Which one of these celebs did not go to Blue Springs High School? Now, I know there's like four high schools in Blue Springs, right? There was one when I was there. Oh, okay, one. All right, There was good. only one when and I that was makes there. it easy because yeah. I, I didn't know if I might have gotten yeah, how wrong. How many celebrities went to Blue Spring High School? There are a lot. <laughs> really? Is that I'm right? I'm telling you, I looked huh. at it a lot. I, Usually, I, when we have like the L.A. guys on Burl. Oh, and there's millions. It's like, oh, you know. No, I'm telling you, Blue Springs is very popular. Okay, so, all right, go so ahead. A, Brandon Lloyd, former wide receiver for the Patriots. B, John Sunvolt, former guard for the Sonics, Spurs, and Heat. Liddell Betts, former uh, uh, running back for the Redskins and Saints. Ty Domi, former NHL tough guy, uh, Maple Leafs. What do you think? Ty Domi did not go there. Now, yeah, he's from Windsor, Canada. He did not yeah, go to Blue my, Springs High School. My wife's from Port Dover, Ontario. So. Oh, is that right? We went to, went to University of Windsor. I did not see it right there. I, 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 <laughs> you knew. I, I stumbled right into that one. All right. You also went to Cerritos College, right? Cerritos. Cerritos, sorry. Cerritos. College in Norwalk, California, another place, Tom, that I saw. I, there literally, I could have cho- chosen about wow. 15, 20 celebrities here. Go ahead. Uh, which of these celebrities did not go to Cerritos College? Okay. Bobby McFerrin, right? Don't worry, be happy. Mm-hmm. Joe Gibbs, Super Bowl winning coach for the Redskins. Charles Nelson Riley, panelist for Match Game 76. And Rod Barajas, former Phillies catcher, the catcher that. Um, Scott Palmer <laughs> messed up his name yeah, yeah. Uh, at the Press Christmas comments. party when he, when yeah. he had to announce Rod Braz. I think he said Rod Brahos. <laughs> <laughs> so Rod Brahos went there because I came there my sophomore year. I only went there one year. Rod was supposed to be the catcher his freshman year. They moved him Rod to first. I caught that year. Oh, really? Wow. And then Rod that. caught the next year. Um, Charles Nelson Riley, because I've listened to the show. 
<laughs> it was either him or Soupy Sale. <laughs> Soupy Sale. Yeah, that's right. right. Exactly. Dusty right. knows. Or Fanny Flag or Brett, <laughs> Brett Summers or any one of those. All right, two for two. In 2007, you played for the Reading Phillies. Which one of these players was not a teammate that year? Okay, 2007, Reading Phillies. I was in. The, I played one game in Reading. Did you really? Yeah, I was there for a weekend. But I'll. Wow. Only mm, one game because it was the Lynx that same year, and then you got yeah. So got, what happened that year was um, I was splitting time in 2007 uh, in AAA with uh, oh gosh, oh what's his name? That's terrible. That Alfaro? No 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 no, Alfaro? no, 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 no. Way this before that, way, uh, it was our second uh, round pick. Darno? No, no, way before I oh. managed Darno. Um, yeah. Anyways, and then Coasty got sent down for something for the weekend, and I wasn't for sure if I was going to retire. So I asked them, I said, can I go on just a restricted list or something? They said, actually, can you go to Reading for the weekend? One of the catchers there hmm. asked to go home for a wedding. And I said, sure, here's the deal. If I can go home on Monday to see my kids. And they said, yeah, sure. So I played Saturday afternoon or Saturday evening. Uh, I got there Friday, played Saturday. And then didn't play Sunday, got on a plane, went home. I went home. Yeah. Oh, well, in that is one time, we'll see if you can remember <laughs> the teammates. Wow. Okay. That's hilarious. Uh, who was not on that team was Mike Costanzo, Michael Bourne, Kyle Kendrick, Chris Coast. Chris Coast wasn't on that team because he was, well, not at the same time he wasn't. Costanzo was there. Yeah. Bourne was not there because he, he was in 07. Uh, he was in Ottawa with us before he got called up. Or no, that was 06. He was in Scranton. It would have been born. Born, you're never, correct. Never played you're there. You're correct. But Coasty did play All there. All right, I think Scott Brandt's going to give me a lot of grief on that one. He's our official <laughs> we thought quiz. You screwed up team. another question. Yep. Uh, your dad was a catcher on the 1980 Kansas City Royals. We mentioned that. Who lost to the Phillies in the World Series? Who led the team in wins that year for the Royals with 20 wins? Was it Dennis Leonard, Paul Splittorf, Rich Gale, Larry Gura? Dennis Leonard. Dennis Leonard, you are four for four. Dang. In 2009, you managed the Lakewood Blue Claws to win the league championship. Who was not on that team? 2009, who was not on that team? Jim Murphy, Justin DeFreitas, Dominic Brown, Travis Darnot. Dominic Brown. Dominic Brown was not on the team. Five for five. You already got the sixth question. What's your career Major League Baseball batting average? I don't even have to give it to you. Right? I gave you that Three one. for five, right? So you already qualified. So we'll see if you can, can go undefeated because there's only a couple people that have gone undefeated. So, number seven, you managed the 2017 Lehigh Valley Iron Pigs to an 80 and 62 record. Four players on that team had at least 15 home runs. Which one of these players did not? So, uh, three of these guys had at least 15 home runs. One did not. Reese Hoskins, J.P. Crawford, Dylan Cousins, Jorge Alfaro. J.P. Crawford. No, uh, Jorge Alfaro had seven. J.P. Crawford had 15, wow. yeah. Hoskins I thought had, that was the year in Reading that he had that many. Hoskins had 29, and Dylan Cousins had 27. Yeah, I thought wow. that was the year he, the year before. I, I was thinking that was uh, the year in Reading. We were in 16, but sometimes they play. Yeah, Dylan Cousins, is he still in baseball? No, or? He got uh, out, last right? year he was playing uh, football. in AAA. Well, he was trying to play football, but last oh, year he was right. playing in AAA briefly with Milwaukee, I think. I don't okay. think he's with anybody right now. That's right. He was trying to get into football because him and Reese were, you know, had yeah. that great year. That and, was 16. And he okay. was a stud yep. football player, right? He's going to yeah. go to Arizona, right, as a defensive yep. lineman in yeah. there? Yeah, his dad uh, had mm. some shots in the NFL, too. I think he had knee problems or something. Mm. Yeah, then there was a high draft pick named Dylan Cousins in hockey. Yeah, that was a cir circus between the two of them. <laughs> right, right. All right, last question. See if you can go seven for eight. Yes. Right? <laughs> Tom, you're going to love this question. What's this? Uh, you and Andrew McCutcheon, we never even talked about that either, would do rock, paper, scissors <laughs> after he hit a home run. 
Now, was that obviously that wasn't scripted because you have to play rock, paper, scissors when he comes around? Yeah. Was that pressure on you? <laughs> yeah. But yeah. That was Kutch's idea. Uh, we talked about things in spring training or something, and it, he's like, hey, you mind playing rock, paper, scissors when I come around third? I said, no. Let's try it. And we did it in spring training, and he's like, yeah, let's do it. I said, all right. So. And what was your overall record against Andrew? I don't know. I won last year, though. Okay. I, know. I lost the year before because I gave him a bottle of wine. So that's how you do it. You do it for the year. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. And you did it for two two years? No. Yeah. Well, yeah, two years, really. Okay. I mean, the one year, I think we only did it two years. I can't remember the first. I don't think we did it. All right, so we you might split. Have the first so you year. split. Yeah, we split, yeah. All right. So uh, I crushed him last year, though. <laughs> well, it looked fun. It was fun from a fan perspective. All right, so you did rock, paper, scissors after you hit a home run. During what ga- time period was the game of rock, paper, scissors invented? Whoa. Okay. Whoa. Was it during the Bolshevik Revolution, which is 1917, that was led by <laughs> Vladimir Lenin? Was it during the Han Dynasty of China, which is 200, 202 BC until 220 BC? Was it the Roman Empire, 27 BC to 476 AD? Or was it the Norman Conquest, the 11th century invasion and occupation of England? So was it the Bolshevik Revolution, the Han Dynasty, the Roman Empire, or the Norman Conquest? This wasn't. This wasn't. No, this wasn't no, part on. of the quiz. This, this wasn't invented at the Wing Bowl or something. Yeah. When they did a thing. It was this, not whatever. invented at the Wing Bowl. Uh, it literally was. It was invented in one of these countries. I would say uh, during mentioned. the Roman Empire. Tom, would you want to be a lifeline or help out? You know I what? think Dusty's all over this. He's studied it and hey, this. No, rock paper scissors was invented in China. It was during the Han Dynasty, 202 B.C. until wow. yes, uh, till 220 B.C. And one other, the other question <laughs> I was going to ask you about rock, paper, scissors is uh, they have an analysis of this, and, and I don't know how they do that. this, but do you know what sign is the least uh, used on the first one out? I do not know. I would, I would say scissors. You would say scissors? I'd say paper. Paper is right, Dusty. Oh. I would invent- how about that? Yes, paper. How about that? Huh. I did win with a lot of scissors. They did? Yeah. yeah. Hmm. And he was going with the least used one. I then. guess. I don't know. I feel like maybe I he knew that, and he was trying to do triple <laughs> See, reverse that's psychology. What it is. That's what the whole game's about. It's all that's analytics. The, yeah. Even rock paper scissors. Yeah. It's right. Crazy. Awesome. <laughs> well, Dusty, you have a job to do. Uh, we're in the middle of this Mets series. Good luck. Thank you. Uh, great job. Thanks for taking the time uh, being a guest on our show. Anytime. Really appreciate it. Awesome. Thanks, Thanks Dusty. Dusty. Hey, John, let's take a little break. Uh, when we come back, we'll talk about opening day and uh, everything else that's going on around here. We'll be right back after this. And we're back, Philly's backstage. First of all, great dude, right, John? Dusty Watham, we love Dusty. The best. And what a great story. I love baseball stories. Talk about a baseball lifer. Again, you know, we had a lot mm. of experience because, you know, Pete Rose's kid, you know, would, yeah. would run around the ballpark. The Boone's kids Ruben Amaro. would run around. Then we saw Ryan Howard. Yeah. His son is now probably yeah, yeah, a, what, yeah. 20-something. But when I'm talking to Dusty, I right? think Ruben, too, because uh, Dusty was the bat boy yep. for the Royals and just, you know, brought up around those guys and kind of, well, in that same era, too, a little bit, you know, the, the 80 team and just awesome, though. Great guy. And when he's talking about all the things they have to think of and the yes. positioning of the players and when a guy goes to his left, he's a little weaker than when he goes to his right when he's coming, you know, trying to throw a ball in. It's amazing. And you have a quarter all second to process all yeah. that. And well, make the decision. It definitely is instinct, right? That right. takes over. I mean, uh, you know, they got to make that that decision so quick. So, no, right. it was great having them. All right, Tom, awesome. I got to. Uh, we just completed the first four games of the season, and obviously the fanatic was instrumental in yes. a lot of these. Uh, a lot of these, uh, the four days, particularly, particularly opening day. Opening day. What was the fanatic's day like on opening day? <laughs> 
He was, uh, <laughs> well, you know, he's a flightless bird, John. Yes. And, uh, you know, he's had this this issue the last couple of years. And, you know, he kind of looked a little different the last couple of years. But this is was first opening day. The Fanatic's back looking like he's always looked. And we just wanted to do something special. So we had to kind of convince the Fanatic, uh, you know, who is flightless, to jump out of an airplane. Which and, he wouldn't uh, be flightless at that point. Correct. Uh, he didn't understand the whole concept of a parachute. Uh, we had to explain it to him. Uh, it's like, no. You're, Did you have you're, to push him out of the plane? That's what I was doing. I was up in the plane with the Fanatic, uh, calming him down. Uh, and, you know, he was starting to hesitate a little bit, and that's when I gave him the old Evo. Now, if he had a bad landing, he at least has a belly to, to support. Yeah. Right? Well, the any- he landed right on his head and his snout, which was hilarious, uh, which was perfect, actually. Right. And, uh, yeah, it was great. What a great way to start the season. Awesome. And the crowd was going nuts. Crowd went nuts. Uh, it's electric down here. I mean, it was one of those opening days, John. It was the perfect weather. It's the city fired up for the team. Uh, just Everything. The A's were in town, which I thought was really cool. People were like, well, it's kind of weird. Why aren't we open up against, you know, an NL East team or something? But having the A's in town right. and, and bringing back that uh, city series, you know, was, was great. It was the perfect opening day. And it was the introduction of Hugo Blewett umpire from the 1920s who was cryogenically frozen. He had last umpired his last uh, game um, – in uh, 1922, so it had been a hundred years since he umpired a game, and uh, there he was standing out there, fifth inning when the fanatic came out. Of course, this guy—wait, is this the guy that got pantsed on the field? He got pantsed, all right. <laughs> he lost all his clothes. He blew it. <laughs> he blew it. He did blow it. Yeah, but can you imagine? I mean, this guy goes to sleep in 1922, wakes up in 2022. You know, he never saw Connie Mack Stadium. He last umped at Baker Bowl, uh, you know, so he no, never saw Connie Mack Stadium, never saw the vet. Here he is, Citizens Bank Park. You know, there's scoreboards, electronic, you know, music's pumping. And then this green thing, you know, he had no idea, never seen the Fanatic before. Right. Uh, so he was – and here's the thing about Hugo, John. He was, he was a hard-nosed umpire back then. He once in uh, 19 – I forget what year it was, 1919. I forget. But he uh, threw out 147 players and managers in one season so it, earning him the nickname Hugo the Horrible which uh, so he's a hard-nosed guy and so when the Fanatic came out to dance around him he wasn't real happy but of course the Fanatic always gets the was last Was this your last. backstory or was this somebody else's <laughs> backstory? This was a night at the bar John so I might have had one or two in me <laughs> <laughs> Very high-level details. So, no, Hugo. but it, it was cool having Hugo yeah. out there. He did lose his pants, and uh, we might be seeing more of Hugo Blewett this, uh, this season. Well, and not just the Fanatic had a big week, right? But yeah. Tom Burgoyne had a big week, particularly a couple of days ago. <laughs> Are you talking about the Sixers game? The 76ers. Sixers. Uh, it was great, John. Remember, we had Matt Cord on as we a did. guest. That's how we and got the idea. I introduced him into our podcast by in my Dave Zinkoff voice. And, uh, you know, Matt was like, man, you really do a great sync. And so he invited me over, along with Franklin, too. Good, good old Franklin is great over there. He invited me as well. And, uh, yeah, went over there. And um, they kind of planted me and, and, and made me part of a And you a know contest. what, Tom? What's we that? have the audio. Let's oh wait! You wait! You dug up the audio. We have of this? the audio from the night. Let's go to the audio right. Oh, Thanks to Graham goodness. Foley. We're going to go to the audio right you guys here. Are too much. It's now time for the Zinc Li contest presented by Ticketmaster. We have Narelle and Tom. They're going to go head to head in their first best impression of the Dr. J intro by the legend himself, Dave Zinkoff. Let's take a look. 
Irish. Here's Norell's best sink off. Introduce, introduce him, Dr. Julius Erb. All right. Now it's, <laughs> Tom, it's your turn. You gotta do that. And from the University of Massachusetts, Well, there it was, John. And I'm telling you, John, that was a dream come true for me. I mean, I am not lying. I am not exaggerating. I am totally serious. When I was back in the 80s, I was in a zinc like contest. I think we told the story on the air. And uh, I didn't even make it through the first cut because I didn't know how to roll my R's. And that's a three-pointer and two minutes left in a quarter. I didn't know how to roll my R's. I got, I got the heave-ho. And uh, so I've always wanted to announce at a Sixers game, you know, I would, I would have loved to have done the whole lineup, the 1983 Sixers starting lineup, but uh, just to be able to announce Dr. J's name in front of a full house. And you house. didn't know quite what you were going to be doing, right? You knew you were going to be doing zinc, but, but they didn't really give you full details. I knew there was going to be Julius Irving. I think they wanted me to say it a certain way, and I said, well, I'm going to say it exactly how zinc used to say right. you know? it. Right. Because uh, all the other guy did, as, as you just heard, was Julius Irving. Yeah, Dr. Jay, you, and you went into a little bit University of Massachusetts. Zink rarely used would say Dr. J. He would do it every once in a while, but it was generally uh, from the University of Massachusetts. Number six seventy six. Actually, serving. <laughs> so uh, it was awesome, John. And then I gotta say this because to be down there on the floor, which I, I you know go to Sixers games, but I'm never down. Yeah, I'm usually up in the nosebleed somewhere. But uh, it's just so awesome to see them do that show every night. Mm -hmm. I mean, it is, I was talking to Matt and he just said, it's like, you know, hosting a rock show every night. I said, it's like a rock show and it's also like a, a Broadway musical in that, you know, you got like, it seems like hundreds of people just flying around with, you know, every time out there's something going on, the music's pumping, Matt Cord does an unbelievable job firing everybody up, Franklin's out there, they got the dancers. It's just really, really awesome production. So it's, it's just so neat to see the behind the scenes. I think you and I need to go to a... Uh NBA playoff game. We need to go go to Sixers uh, Toronto Raptors playoff game. What do you right think? on, yeah. Go Sixers, go All right. Sixers. All right, we wrapping this up, John. Wrapping this up. That was a good one. Yeah, love Dusty, Dusty and love talking fanatic. Awesome. Well, thanks for tuning in, everybody. Uh, we'll see you next time, I guess, on Phillies backstage. <laughs>